Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hola, socios. Hola, equipo. My name is Neil. I'm Liam. This is John Norberger from Kansas City, Missouri, USA. Maury Field near Brisbane in Queensland. Edinburgh. Barcelona. And I'm a socio. I'm a socio. I'm a socio of the big interview. My name is Neil. I'm originally from Scotland, but now living in Barcelona. Hey, why did I become a socio? Well, you could reference uh, Mr. Hunter's knowledge and access to some great football characters, but I'm going to go for his exceptional use of swear words. He really seems to strike the right chord, they're not overused. <laughs> As a Scotsman, it's something I uh, really value. <laughs> My favourite interview of the season, I'm going to go for Kevin Kilban. He came across as a really open, honest, funny and down-to-earth guy. In general, seemed like the sort of person you could happily sit down, have a pint with him and just listen to his stories. Hello, I'm Neil White, and this is the big interview at the World Cup. Just off the plane from Krasnodar to Kazan ahead of tomorrow's Spain v Iran Group B clash is Graham Hunter. That takes place in the Kazan Arena, home of Ruben Kazan. Graham, how was the flight, and are there any murals of Sergio Ramos in Kazan? I slept like a baby because of my innocent conscience and my happy demeanour. So, uh, although my fellow flyers report that there were about several courses on the plane including about five different salads. I uh, slept beatifically throughout the whole journey until we landed here in this extremely green and very European-looking uh, city. Uh, a lovely journey in <laughs> via the, the police convoy and an arrival to the team hotel where, yeah, sad to tell that it, it's in context, um, my Sergio Ramos answer, in that I told you that landing somewhere, I forget what it was, probably Sochi, the, the plane had to take two shots at it. And then the, the team bus arriving at Sochi Stadium the night before the game, the boss jumped out and headed straight for the nearest door, which was the, the press conference door instead of the training room door. So that was, oops, OK, about turn. And there's a bit of an oops about turn going on here right now in that Sergio Ramos, for those who haven't been paying attention and who, who've just joined us, is, is really spectacularly painted as a mural in Krasnodar. In a, in a multi-story building uh, which faces out towards the last bridge that leads you to the, the fabulous stadium in, in Krasnodar. Now, there's a mural here too, but it's certainly not Sergio Ramos. So in context, you, you know, the social should be made to guess and come back in a day's time. But I suspect the news will be out in the international media that uh, out the back 
of the windows of Spain's team hotel, and maybe the players all have front-facing rooms, is a giant mural of not only Cristiano Ronaldo off the back of that 3-3 draw in Sochi on Friday night, but it's it's Cristiano Ronaldo giving that trademark uh, chiselled jaw wink when he's either done you or he's he's got Wayne Rooney sent off or he's he's nicked the ball past you in the final minute to get a 3-3 draw. So I don't know if this was this was sort of splashed up. Uh, see if you can guess who it is now. Style since the three three, or whether it was always waiting here in Kazan. But anyway, it very much appeals to my sort of dry sense of humour. I think Nacho got the wink after the after the penalty the other night. I'm pretty sure I saw a shot of Cristiano looking back and giving him the wink. I thought he, I think he got the hump. To be quite frank with you, but. <laughs> I, I take your point. I know what you're saying. Okay, look, we've spoken before about the fact that your work with Spain at these tournaments can be quite intense. And I know that you don't always get the chance to see all of the rest of the World Cup. But I think you saw England get the win against Tunisia last night. As a former England correspondent on Fleet Street, did you see anything different in Gareth Southgate's team compared to previous iterations? Yeah, me and the guy made a point of uh, watching it. We were interrupted by an extraordinarily big and burly, very drunk Russian who wanted to tell us about his great-grandfather's participation in the World War. But during those um, mildly amusing interruptions, we were able to watch England. And, you know, I I think I may be, uh, not for the first time, repeating myself here, Neil, in that from my eye, the very thing that I began asking for, writing about it when the Barca book took shape. And I think it's something I touched on a little bit in the Spain book, but it, it's it's always been my opinion that if, given the, advantage that, the advantages that the Premier League boasts and given the, the, the sustained passion for football in England, the resources, the, the, the fact that England, let's focus on them, it was their game, not anybody, not any of the home nations, that they still produce warrior players who want to chase and harass and, you know, outjump and outrun. The minute that they get, you know, technical ability and football intelligence, you were talking about very interesting football power again. And I think that when we when we talked in the big inside view about the the, the junior tournaments that England have begun to win in abundance, my hope was that that we were going to see that spread to the senior team where tournament play could be based upon intelligence, retention of possession, um, probing strategically, um, not cavalier, not not sort of long ball, also not giving away, gifting away possession and running around in the heat. And that's partly what I saw uh, last night. Tunisia, my companions who were with me had had been with me at the Tunisia-Spain game where Tunisia very nearly got a, a nil-nil draw, where they had been impressed with Tunisia. I, I wasn't. I was impressed with one small part of the Tunisian armory, which was that they matched physical and athletic prowess with a, a, a smart long ball game against Spain, which made Piquet and Ramos turn and turn and, and turn again. There is, a, there is a season after all. And when Tunisia were starting to be able to hold England at a stage when England should have been five or six one up. Yeah, I was convinced that England still had a victory in them. The manner in which they they got it was very much in tune with this 
rash of late goals that we've had in the World Cup, which must be great for broadcasters and advertisers. Everybody picks themes in a World Cup, don't they? You know, whichever themes it may be, the brilliance of the Brazilians in 82 and Toto Scolacci in 90 and, I don't know, pick your icon or your trend or your song from all the other tournaments. This one is is evidently, for me, about end-to-end football. A lot of the games, excluding, say, you know, a couple around the Iran uh, match last time, these games have been really ebb and flow, really fluent, but also played not like long ball humping from penalty box to penalty box. And I can't see the teams maintaining this level of energy. But from my view, it's been played in a very Champions League style. And the impact of the the mentality and tactics of the Champions League on this first round of group games seems to me to be huge. And I, and I really remember the way in which the, the first round of games, in, let's pick on um, 2010, was stale, there weren't enough goals, the grass was too long. In the book, I chart Xavi complaining to the, I think it was Elisonda, the referee, saying, take your message back to Blatter, the, the grass is too long, it's not watered properly, defensive teams are getting a premium, that's why you're getting so few goals. Well, the, the, the late goal trend is secondary only to that, that back and forward ping pong style of football that we're watching. And when England got it, I, I wasn't particularly surprised. And the thing to to pick on the two things I think that stood out were one, I genuinely enjoyed watching them. Whether anybody cares about, you know, <laughs> me talking about where they're at technically or strategically, that was a decent match to watch. And I think that we've had. If you're not English, you have to listen to the English media trumping on about how great this World Cup's going to be and then hammering the players. And that's just a really boring refrain. And it's time to flip the record. It's been time to flip the record for a long, long time. And what has been evident under Southgate is that he's, he's not only has he made a really strong statement about the brand of football he wants, you can see it beginning to come together. He's excluded certain footballers, included others. And it's evident that all of them want the same thing as the coach. Now, that, that's a gigantic advantage because you can't implant a culture on your own as a coach. You just can't. You must have the resources. And I'm not now going to suddenly say that Jordan Henderson is chavy. But right across that pitch all night, I saw wit. I saw a pattern of what they thought they should be doing via one another in terms of space, in terms of where they stand or play vis-a-vis one another, what they do with the ball, uh, when they risk, when they don't risk. And had they finished properly and had they not had a little bit of bad luck too, that game could have been an, a pulverisation of, of a Tunisia side that held Spain not that long before until the 88th, 87th, I can't remember, minute when Aspas scored his winner. And OK, it, it meant that Harry Kane had to pop up with an equally late winner. I pretty much enjoyed his performance. But at Southgate, I haven't heard anything that he's had to say about it or read anything since because of our late night and our travel and whatever. But I think he must be pretty satisfied that it's identifiably the style he wants. The players not only look comfortable, they look eager. And should England be able to finish more clinically, supply Kane more regularly, albeit that they will eventually come up against better opposition, that's a really exciting start to the tournament. Yeah, and excellent use of the word pulverisation as well. We've mentioned once your previous incarnation as uh, a good old-fashioned newspaper man covering the England national team 
for the national titles um, out of London. That coincided with Gareth Southgate, the England player. Uh, I was just wondering if in your interactions with him way back when, you saw the beginnings of somebody who could lead a national team on this stage. I'll tell you what, um, the the individual anecdotes would be that he fitted into this category of player who, because he'd seen me on the television, would speak to me openly and quickly. And because when, when I first started writing about England, Southgate's time had pretty much come to an end or was coming to an end. When I began to get to know him and chat to him was in, in gyms around Europe when he was working for, I'm pretty sure, ITV, certainly one of the national um, free-to-air television stations, and he'd be on Champions League duty, and we'd happen to be in the, the UEFA hotel, and, and quite often we'd have time to, to just shoot the shit about this, that, or the next thing. Um, I enjoyed his company. He was always very forthright. He was always very um, articulate. Um, it was pleasant to talk what do you think about this game? What do you think about that player with him? I enjoyed that. And I, if I'm not wrong, I remember him being the Middlesbrough coach when Sevilla, I think, won the first of their uh, European, well, let's call it European titles, UEFA Europa League titles. And um, I thought that he was a promising coach. I'm not certain that that was the feeling of everybody that I know who played for him. So... Um, I wouldn't claim to have had knowledge to say that this might be an England manager. I watched a little bit of his under-21 reign. And um, all I can say is that I respect somebody who says, I have a I have a vision. I think it's the right time to enact it. Um, you're not going to get him either arsing around the way that Sven-Goran Eriksson did without being able to tell Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard which of them was supposed to hold and organise and which of them was supposed to go. You're not going to find him like Capello sticking his players out in the middle of the veld or Sun City bored and, and miserable and playing rubbish. You're not going to get him arsing around like Sam Allardyce did in the manner that got him sacked or released. And therefore, if Gareth Southgate is a sort of wholesome, pleasant, intelligent, articulate man, that's all very good. But the thing that will make him admirable is if he can continue to develop this philosophy of the ball is for the ball is your friend the ball is for passing and tournaments can be won via strategy and intelligence not just hard running and therefore um i I can't answer your question and say did was there enough evidence in my meetings with him to suggest that he might be a terrific coach uh no but um i i for some time now i've been quite enjoying watching him play thanks graham let's take a quick break there when we come back We'll preview Spain's meeting with the leaders of Group B, Iran. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. 
Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back, Graham. Let's look at Carlos Queiroz's Iran team. I guess the Spain players and staff have been asked about their opponents a lot in the past 48 hours. What's the line on Iran after their own goal injury time win over Morocco in St. Petersburg? Well, the line is that they've all been pronouncing it incorrectly because I don't think any of them knew that it was pronounced Iran in Farsi. Although I do salute your research. Very, very impressive. I, I think... Everybody who pays attention to top-level football will be unsurprised to find that not a word has been said about Iran so far, and it's not because Iran are small. The big nations, unless they are playing an outright big nation next, tend to be dominated by media questions, which are about the transfer market, the last game, personalities within the squad, issues from training, and, and therefore, I mean, I, I've seen this by covering other countries. There is a certain navel-gazing, and so it shouldn't be taken that people think Iran are irrelevant or an easy touch. Nobody I know around having talked to the people who do the filming and, and scouting for Spain, nobody thinks Iran will be easy. They think that they are typically well-organised by Kirosh, and that if you look at their qualification record and if you look at that I think they they conceded twice in qualification and if you look at how unspeculative they were in the game against Morocco and I think they, I think we I, I fluffed at this stat the other day they either won the game with no shots on target or no shots on target in the second half uh, because Morocco scored an own goal what has been concerning the Spanish media so far has been getting to know Fernando Hierro, the the new coach, as the new coach, he sat down for a good half hour with the written press from Spain yesterday. That was a popular decision. It's shown very well in the media today. The Griezmann affair rumbles on. Um, Diego Costa spoke live on television, and therefore these things that's a, something of a rarity to get access to Costa. So questions to Isco when he sat down in the press conference. There was one about the Iran game. And he said, well, look, I believe that if we move the ball quickly, if we are accurate and effective in the circulation of the ball, we can open up any team. Therefore, I think that if we're swift enough, then we can open up Iran. Other than that, you know, he was being asked 
a lot about the issues that have built the news agenda over the last four or five days. And um, as such, Iran, we're recording this. We don't hide the strings attached. We're recording this before the press conferences in the evening of the the pre-match. And therefore, there will be questions about um, Iran for absolutely sure. I wonder if many of the players could name an Iranian international. But without exception, they'll know the name of the coach. OK, well, let's talk about both coaches. You led into the coach of Iran there. Let's start with him. Does the presence of a former Real Madrid and Portugal manager add much to this for Spain and the Spanish players? I, I think it does um, in that his name still carries a degree of both uh, respect and controversy. His reign at um, Real Madrid came off the back of both Yero being kicked out of the club and Del Bosque being kicked out of the club. It literally was Del Bosque turning up at the end of the season, expecting to have his contract renewed, having you know won a couple of Champions Leagues and a couple of titles, and being told, that's it, you're out on the spot. And he phoned Fernando Yero as he left the, the ground almost on a revolving door at the Bernabeu to say, listen, doesn't look good. Don't expect that that verbal offer they made to you for a new contract to be followed through. So it proved. And within a couple of weeks, Carlos Queiroz had been recruited from Manchester United. Um, It it adds something to it. You you mentioned Portugal, but it adds something to it that he was assistant to Alex Ferguson on that night, I think in the League Cup at Bolton, where a long ball gets played through, Gerard Piquet is playing. He he times his leap badly. It's a big opportunity for him, given that he's fighting to try and take away the centre-half place of Rio Ferdinand and and Vidic. And there are assorted other youth team graduates keeping Jerry at best to play right back as a a youngster, which is not something he wanted to do. And he he mistimes his jump. Um, The ball floats over him at the rebound. Nicholas Nelka darts in and score. Bolton beat Manchester United and, you know, Piquet's been quite clear since then that it was from that night that Kiros told Ferguson, I don't trust that guy, he's not the right guy for us, get him out. And Jerry makes the point that I think Ferguson had promised him 20-something games that season and he ended up getting, I don't know, six or seven. And and pretty soon afterwards, the big offer came from Barcelona and Ferguson let him go reluctantly and with a, a note saying, I think I'll be proven to be making the wrong decision here. I'm worried that you are the right guy, but the chances are limited here. Your hometown club want you. We'll take the fee. Off you go if you want. But Kairos is somebody who I, I would say PK would like to put one over on. Um, I don't have a question about that. And therefore, once you sift those things out of the way, Neil, the, the, the absolute basic thing is if if Spain don't win here and win you know, by a couple of clear goals... They're, they're seriously complicating their lives. It would be, first of all, embarrassing not to beat Iran as, as stalwart and well-organised as they are because Spain are elite. And therefore, it's no disrespect to a smaller nation where the players' names don't make an impact. This is about the bigger side. They are not just bigger in name. They're good. So this is a game whereby, as, I, as I'm pretty sure that Portugal play first... There's going to be a lot of clarity about the task in front of Spain once they kick off here in Kazan. And should um, Portugal win, or should Portugal win clearly, then the pressure augments. Um, Iran 
will organise and defend for their lives. And therefore, it's an interesting test. And should they not do well, then, you know, the world will come crashing down on top of Spain's heads. Again, the, the press will be, could this possibly be a second early exit? I have to say, I, I don't see it. I believe in the, what I've seen. I believe in the atmosphere, which is very unified, very buoyant. And I think that helps to let talent flood out. And therefore, I think Spain can win this 2-0. But they're going to go out and prove it. And they can't relax. They can't be um, complacent. And, and they have to know how to cope with frustration because there is a decent possibility that this will be an indigestible feast for them and that their work will have to be excellent if they if to break down Kiros's defensive plan. OK, finally then, let's look at Fernando Hierro. He had his first experience as manager of Spain with the press of that nation. How did he do? What kind of an imprint did he make in his first outing? Yeah, no, not just in the game. I th- there's a, there a refrain that's being used here a lot by people around the camp, which is the work was done. So the players know the playing style. They used it in qualification and that won't change. The players largely know that the 11 will come from a set 14. It's not that the other nine don't have a chance of playing, but there are 14 players who think I'll either be in the team now or soon, or I'll be off the bench quickly. So there's a pattern there. The scouting, the the location choice, the pre-work done on the opponents, that was sitting there ready for Fernando Hierro. And I think that nobody thought anything other than well about his team selection or his team changes. And and how could he prevent De Gea's mistake or... Gerard Piquet's tackle on Ronaldo at the end that led to the free kick equaliser. So more importantly, I think, is the impact he's had around the camp. You can see the players liking it. You can see that he's played the media very, very shrewdly. He is eloquent, charming. He spent time with them. Um, there, there's very much a, a feeling of goodwill towards him from the Madrid media. Where, And I don't mean simply because he won trophies for Madrid, but... Since the latter stage of his captaincy, where he was you know, the militant captain who said on the night of the league title that um, because of a dispute with the club, they, the the team wouldn't turn up at the statue where Real Madrid traditionally celebrate titles. And McManaman has told me many times about the. In fact, he did a podcast with us about the fact that you know Yero and Raúl were were saying right we at the end of this last game of the season we have one lap of the pitch and then we're in unless the president changes his mind we're not going to you know, the pre-ordained town council celebration for the trophy and, and we'll show our power so he's a man capable of being ardent and 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 firm about the things that he dictates but he's also smart and charming and as first of all director of football for spain during that uh, world cup campaign and from 2008 onwards it'd be better to say and then as general manager of Malaga, as assistant coach to Ancelotti uh, for a season, one of the assistant coaches, he became accessible. Um, he is very likable. And he made an effort in his interviews to to share with the media. And that goodwill has been brought here. His year at Oviedo, I think, was reasonably well regarded. He's brought two of his assistants from that time to this new post. It's been popular that he's involved Carlos Marchena, the Sevilla-born Valencia famous um, central defender who won the World Cup and won the European Championship in 2008 as director of football. 
so there's a series of things that Fernando Hierro has done that has been helpful to douse the fires of crisis, crisis when Lopetegui was sacked. The president, Rubiales, has been conspicuous by his absence. I think that's quite shrewd. And the players on the pitch have responded to Hierro. There's no question they like the drills. Um, he hasn't changed anything. I, I was lucky enough to sit down and speak to him at, well, at reasonable length yesterday. We have friends in common. Uh, one of whom, in fact, is, is Duncan McMath, who's making the film of the Barca book with me. Um, Duncan interviewed Fernando a few weeks ago when he was just director. Of, in fact, before he was even director of football at Spain. And they got on so famously that Duncan texted him when he got the, the Spain coach job. Congratulations. And immediately got a, thanks very much, Duncan text back. And I mentioned that we were chums in common and, and Fernando Yero was delighted yesterday and sent him, sent him my regards. That's the kind of level of chat you get. Very friendly, very effusive. I also know the, the owners of the bar in Manchester, Harpers to name it, Felix and Eugenio, where when he was at Bolton, Fernando Yero with Ivan Campo used to have a, you know, a quiet canya, a quiet pint the night before a game. Each of them reflecting, one, that they liked the Spanish food there, and two, that they could never have done that in their Real Madrid days. It would have been a scandal, but in Britain, it was fine. It was a gentle pint or two. And in Bolton, everybody was just glad to have them. And indeed, you know, Trotters fans will remember that Yero left after one season, having driven Bolton to European football for the first time ever. And he told me that he, you know, thoroughly enjoyed the whole experience of being in Britain. The attitudes, the crowds, the privacy, the respect, the... Even the idea of um, driving from the Reebok to training to some field, I can't remember where, where there was no showers. So diving around in the mud in training, playing mini games and coming back clarted in mud um, like a pub team. Uh, no offence to Bolton at all, but like an amateur team would do in a minibus back to the stadium to get a shower. And I was like, you're, you're Fernando Hierro. You know, a, a Maserati-powered Rolls-Royce at the back for, for Real Madrid all-time Spanish legend. I loved it. He said, I loved it. <laughs> loved the whole thing. Back to the purest basics of football. So you can hear that my uh, his treatment to me has been very, very friendly. And my respect for him is is already high. And anybody who saw him play would, would give him a good yard of respect before he decided whether he was or wasn't a good coach. We'll learn that here. But this won't be, this won't necessarily be his biggest coaching test. And his leadership powers are proven. I think this team... Might test him if if they go beyond the group and they're in the late stages of a game and substitutions may dictate things. How to handle extra time, a penalty shootout. These are things that you can only prove that you're good at once they come along. There, there, there aren't many simulations for the 115th minute of a World Cup semi-final in extra time with penalties looming. And um, broadly... I would think that this is the right group for Fernando Hierro to cut his teeth at international level. And I'm looking forward to learning about him. I think there's an entire podcast in Fernando Hierro, and maybe we'll get the chance to do that one later on in the tournament. That's our show, guys. Thanks for listening to these World Cup podcasts. And the podcast with Steve McManaman that Graham mentioned in that chat is still on the feed, as are three seasons worth of big interviews that Graham's done with some of the biggest names in football. You can support us in a few ways. Please think about joining our supporters trust. Become a socio of the podcast at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. If you're not ready to do that yet, please leave a review on iTunes or share the podcast with someone you'd think would enjoy it. Graham Hunter in Kazan looking at the winking face of Cristiano Ronaldo. 
Thank you. Well, thank you, Neil White. But also thanks to a friend of the podcast, Raza Hussain, um, a QC in London, who's enjoying these sufficiently to have messaged me on Twitter. And to Tom Lee, too, who says the World Cup content so far, and I'm talking about the two emergency pod plus the reaction to Spain v Portugal, has been nothing short of glorious. Tom Lee, you're the man. Thanks, guys. And you can get in touch with us directly at GH Podcast on Twitter. For now, Graham, dos vidania. Adios. I really hope you're enjoying these World Cup shows. We've got huge plans for next season, but we do need your help to make them happen. Go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter right now to become a socio, a member, to join us, to support us. You'll get an extra big interview every month, plus lots of other bonus content. Last season, our members got nine exclusive big interviews, including Rafa van der Vaart, Troy Deeney, and Roberto Di Matteo. So go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. Do it now, please. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.